Hello, my friends. Welcome back to Detox Podcast. I am Denise Walker, your host. If you're new here, welcome. Detox Podcast is a deep dive into my poetry collections, Pick Your Poison on Addiction and Recovery. Every episode, I dissect one of my poems. I go into it to describe my emotions, my experiences, and I present it to you in this way in order to create a place of solace, understanding, and relatability. Let's dive in. Hi friends, how are you today? I'm feeling a little drained myself, but I am happy to be here speaking to you. Today's episode is called Hip Sobriety, and we're going to be talking about a few things, but I think I'll just jump right in and start off with the poem. Here it is, Hip Sobriety. My platoon of light bearers trudge forward to a better tomorrow. Life looses arrows at our limbs and sends shrapnel towards our souls. Many fall, more bleed, but we will leave none behind. We are strong from all the guilt we've heaved. I will carry them as they will carry me. So often I lose sight, blood blind with bloodshot eyes. For dark, terrifying moments I'm alone, save for my friends' bryocardic corpses roped to my ankles. But the dust always clears, the smoke lifts, and I see the bravest ones still ahead, leading us across the gutted battlefield. Hope floods in and I rise up, stronger. I'm flanked by the most battered and scarred of us all, and they lift me higher, always higher. Almost uh, couldn't read that one because I forgot to breathe. <laughs> Sorry. Um, yeah, so I wrote this one in reflection of Hip Sobriety School. It was the sobriety program that I did. I've talked about it quite a bit, um, but if you're new, I'll just give a little recap. Essentially, I did this online recovery program called Hip Sobriety School run by Holly Whitaker. She now runs Tempest. It's all been rebranded as Tempest. Uh, but essentially, we were all put into this Facebook group together and we were like a class and there was maybe like a, a few hundred of us, maybe 150 like quite active people in there. So there was like quite a few of us. We got really close. We went through all of this shit together. Like a lot of us started day one together. That's kind of what this was. It was this, um, we're doing sobriety together. This really intense thing where you need to have people. You need to have support. It's like when you go to any sort of school, you have classmates that you can lean on for like studying and questions and, you know, feeling anxiety after tests with and things like that. But this was like, the stakes are much higher, I feel, than than school. But I mean, school is pretty fucking insane too sometimes um, when it comes to anxiety <laughs> and the stakes. Um, but this was very personal. This was like an opportunity for us to to kind of test the waters of all of this stuff that we had kept inside for a really long time. I remember the very first post I ever made in that group. I wanted, I sort of like wanted to be the first, <laughs> um, but 
but I couldn't quite get the words out. I was nervous. I was very scared. I didn't know kind of like what, what I should say, how I should say it, how much I should say. Like what, this is the first time I'm really telling my story of like why the fuck I'm in addiction. <laughs> and these people are here also in addiction. And like, this was, this was so new. It was, I was finally around peers that potentially could really understand and hear me and hold me. And so other people went first and it really broke the ice. It was like, oh my God, okay, I can actually say these things. And it was so liberating to make that first post about like who I was, kind of like my story. And then getting people commenting being like, oh my God, me too. Holy crap, was that ever reassuring? And it was so hope inducing that like, okay, I think I'm in the right place. All these people are here because we have one common goal and one thing that really unites us. And while there were all of these really wonderful, empowering moments, there were also moments of like fear, loneliness, um, hopelessness. And I wanna talk to you about a concept that was introduced in hip sobriety school, like right off the bat, there was these ground rules, right? Where the most important one that really stuck in my mind about how we were to conduct ourselves. And it's even more glaringly obvious now not being in that environment and being in other sort of recovery groups around Facebook and in other realms of, of wellness and, and personal journeys and self-development and things like that. In hip sobriety, we were told very clearly that, you know, these are a bunch of strangers that you will become really close with. However, they may share things that upset you, trigger you, that you do not agree with, that you would never do in your own life, that like you just can't, you couldn't condone. If someone else was doing something like that you did not agree with. And the rule was that you would hold these people in a positive regard, regardless of what they said or shared, you would just support them. There would be no like unsolicited advice or con condemnation or judgment. It was a judgment-free zone where you just heard, listened and supported and gave love to these people. And I didn't know the word for it, but my therapist just like two weeks ago introduced me to the concept of unconditional positive regard, which is a um, therapist like client based terminology coined by uh, Carl Rogers, who was like my therapist said he's like one of the fathers of psychology or um, whatever type of psychology that he was a part of my therapist is a positive psychologist. And so essentially it's like holding your client in this positive light, no matter what they share and just like unconditionally supporting them, no matter what's going on in their life. And like always showing them support, no matter what. And that's what this was. It was 
no matter how dark, twisted, uncomfortable, like these people's lives were, they were sharing things about what they did. You just like threw love and supported them, like unconditionally. Like here you go, like wow, that is really awful what you went through. I couldn't imagine like how hard that must have been for you. And and here is a bunch of love. There's no like oh well, you realize you put yourself in this position, right? Or um, maybe you shouldn't cheat on your husband. Or um, well, maybe you would still have your kids if you could just stop drinking. None of that. That's not. That's not how it goes. That's not how true support goes. And from day one, it was such this incredible practice of just like giving love to people no matter what. And you know what happens when you do that? These people felt loved and they began to succeed in their sobriety journey. And then I felt comfortable to share the things that made me feel so full of guilt and shame and I could put them out into the open in this supportive, loving environment, and I would be met with love. And it became almost like addictive, <laughs> addictive <laughs> to share these personal intimate moments because it wasn't scary anymore. It was like this beautiful release of this stuff that had pent up on the inside and you just let it out and people would be like, oh my God, me too. Thank you so much for saying that because I was scared to share that because I've gone through the exact same thing and I felt so much shame and guilt around it. But now that you've said it, I feel like I can share with you. And now I'm free too. That is the environment that, that people who struggle with addiction thrive in the best because you know, if you're one, if you're one who's been addicted to something, you know the guilt and shame that goes along with that. You know about keeping things hidden and buried deep and not letting anybody see it because you feel like what you've done or what you thought of what you've said is completely unlovable and unacceptable. And if you were to allow it to see the light of day, it would be game over. You would lose everything. Everybody would walk away from you. I get it. I feel that. I have felt that very, 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 very deeply. And there was these tough times in hip sobriety school where people would be struggling so hard. And like, no matter how much love you threw at them, like we know that you can't save people and you can't fix people. And that's part of this whole recovery journey is learning that. Learning that people have to do things in their own time. People have to do things in their own time. It takes what it takes. That was one of our mantras, one of our affirmations. It takes what it takes. And there's no rushing it. You know, it's not an overnight thing. None of this, none of this life is overnight. We get so caught up in the idea that we should be somewhere that we're not. But that's not how it works. It takes what it takes. And we'll get there when we get there. Yeah, it's about meeting yourself where you are and accepting that. Meeting yourself where you are and accepting that. And so there's this line in the poem that says, we will leave none behind. We're strong from all the guilt we've heaved. 
right? Like we have been carrying this guilt and this shame. It's heavy. It's so fucking heavy. And finally, we can use our strength that we've gained from this experience to for good use, you know? Like we have been living with this heaviness and this burden of shame and guilt for so long and yet we still walk forward right still we pretend everything's okay we got a smile on our face and we go to work and we pick up our kids from school and we you know we we cook dinner and like so many of us are are high functioning right like you wouldn't even know there was some sort of problem going on but there is a problem and so we're we've become sort of like strong from from doing this you know, we've this ability to to continue to walk forward, even though we're being dragged to the ground and like pretending like it's not happening. And so I decided in this poem to kind of put a twist on it and say, you know, like all these people around me that I see that are suffering through this process and like somehow I'm doing really well. I'm like kicking addiction in its ass some days and they're not like what's the like, what's the difference why and and there is no why you know there's no answer to that and we all have like a very specifically different set of experiences um amount of time that we've spent in addiction what our addiction is you know the amount of trauma we've sustained the people we have in our lives the jobs or jobs we jobs we have or don't have um the amount of loss we've experienced if our emotional needs were met throughout life i'll get into that a little bit later and yeah there's no why there's no there's no understanding why it's harder for some people and and not hard for others and 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 the only thing that that can be done is just this continuous unconditional positive regard and say, you know, like, you're still a human being, you're struggling. Yeah, that's a human thing. And I love you. And you're strong and you can fucking do this. You can do this. I don't believe that it's time for you to give up. You can do this. And so we, we will leave none behind. You know, even if you have 365 days of sobriety and then you you drink again, like, no, like, you're still with us. You have not been left behind. If you can only get two days at a time under your belt, you're still with us. You're a part of us. And, like, I understand the problematic verbiage around the word tribe and that it is not an appropriate use to be calling a group of people a tribe um, outside of indigenous circles especially in um like white culture where we call things like bride tribe or whatever it's not appropriate it's um harmful uh we were called a tribe in hip sobriety school before i I understood the damage that that kind of terminology causes. And in my first Pick Your Poison book, it is uh, dedicated to my tribe. And I acknowledge that that's not correct. Um, and I will I will not use that term to describe me and my friends. <laughs> uh, however, I do want to talk about the concept of tribalism. It's very deeply ingrained in us as human beings that we need to feel like we belong to a group. 
this group it goes back you know years and years and decades and thousands of years you know so if you have a group of people that's where your safety comes from a like-minded group that you are a part of if you are accepted into this group then you will have protect protection you will have resources you will have support and you will not be easily picked off from the group by predators or prey or other opposing groups because there is there is protection for you there you're part of something you're with others we've got you you know but in these moments where we feel like there's something inherently wrong with us that deviates from the collective this fear starts to build that if people only knew the truth, then we would be rejected, thrown out. We would be excommunicated from the group. And then we would be vulnerable. We would be alone. And we would be easy prey. But that's not the case here. Because these things that you have done, you are still a part of the group. These things that you've thought been experienced they do not mean that you are being kicked out of the group you are here you are one of us you were always one of us and like how beautiful would that concept be if we could extend that just outside of this little recovery group i was a part of and blast it across the globe and like realize you are one of us i am one of you of course we have differences. Of course you do things that maybe I do not agree with, but like I see you as a human being. I love you. You will not be thrown out into the cold because of this. There are things that we need in life. These five emotional needs We need to feel like we belong. We need to feel loved unconditionally. We need to feel safe. We need to feel seen and we need to feel heard. I think I've talked about these before, but I'll always keep coming back to them because they're a very good indicator of like a doing a self check. Like if something feels really off in your relationships specifically, or like jobs or like whatever, like when it has to do with other people. Are your emotional needs being met? Do you feel like you belong? Do you feel like you're accepted unconditionally? Do you feel like you are safe? Do you feel seen? Do you feel heard? Because if not, then there's there's something wrong. Your needs are not being met. And this is something that I think is is a good checklist to have when you enter into recovery and perhaps you now have to look at what your friend groups look like. This is tricky because if you were like a party person, your friends are probably party people. And if you decide to take this step towards sobriety, there might be some friction that occurs. They might not understand they might say you were much more fun when you were drinking. They might not want to hear how alcohol was killing you. 
This threatens their reality. Your sobriety may be a threat to other people's reality because they are still trapped in it. They are still tied to it. Their identity is wrapped up in it. And if you threaten that, then they feel threatened to their core and they will put walls up. They will defend. They will even become, uh, they'll go on the offense. They might even attack you. And if you are in sobriety and you're facing this kind of issue where the people in your life are not meeting your emotional needs, I just want you to like, just look at that. Don't have to do anything, just like be aware of it. Like maybe that can give you some clarity on like why things aren't working. And maybe, you know, maybe it can be salvaged. Maybe some dialogue can happen. But, like, it's not your job to hold people's hands through their shit. You can still love them. (laughs) Like I said, this unconditional positive regard, you can still have unconditional positive regard for the people in your life, but, but you don't have to take being attacked by them, being, like, just because you can understand the idea of unconditional positive regard doesn't mean that you have to lay down. It doesn't mean that you strip yourself of your boundaries and like do things for them at your own expense. You can love them, but you can love them at a distance. You can say, I hope that this person gets gets to where I am because I'd love to continue this relationship, but right now it's not working. And that goes for people in recovery too. Like maybe it's not your party friends. Maybe you have friends that like, can't seem to break out of the cycle. And like, I I get that that's really difficult and maybe goes against what I've been saying here, but like at some point you may not be in the same place as other people are in recovery. Like for me, like I, I'm in a really good place and I can no longer be on that like ground zero in the mud area anymore. And I can still give people support and, like, comment on their posts on Facebook and stuff and, like, tell them about um, how, like, I've been there and, like, things get better and, like, that kind of stuff. And 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 that's, that's what I talk about in the poem is, like, you know, suddenly you're on, you know, the, you feel blinded by this, like, trauma and this, this, like, recovery process and, addiction and you're you're like blinded by it and the smoke is so heavy and you can't see anybody around you feel so alone like you're never going to get out of this and then there's these people like back then I was the one who was blind and then now I'm the person that I saw ahead you know like I the smoke cleared and I could see somebody far ahead who had like years of sobriety under their belt and I couldn't believe that that was even possible 
they were so far ahead and they just were like this beacon of light that like, okay, this is possible. Other people have done this. If other people have done this, it means that I can do it too. And so I hope that being four years sober, I can be that. I can't even believe that. Four years. Four years of not touching alcohol. That's wild. And it's possible. And it gets easier every single freaking day. And the rest of this book, this Picky Poison Volume 2, is all about really hard shit that I kept coming up against. Love yourself. Love others. You're not alone. They are not alone. We're here for each other and just like know what your limits are because that's, I guess that's just what I'm trying to say is that, you know, if you're doing really, really well and it's harmful for you to be like right there, um, always trying to like give support to people who are on like day one and like it's this never like really difficult, like never ending cycle of like, um, Just like watching them struggle so much. If that's triggering for you, then it's triggering for you. And like, it's your choice on how much you you spend in that, in that environment. And the same goes for if you're looking at me four years down the line and it's triggering to see somebody so successful at sobriety. Um, and I'm going to own that. I'm fucking successful at this. Like I... I did this. This was a huge fucking accomplishment for me. I'm not trying to be like bragging about it here. Real like I'm not I'm not trying to be like unhumble. Like I I'm just fucking proud of myself. That I got to be the person that I could see through the smoke down the way. Shining a big light, like a beacon. Like I was going for that person and now I'm that person. I'm holding the lantern. It's my turn. And if that beacon of light down the way is something that's very upsetting to you, that's your limit. That's your own boundary. You know, like you have to test these waters and see, okay, is it helpful for me to be like in the thick of it, holding up these people all the time um, and like helping? Or, or is it easier for me to just have like a few core sober friends? who I can turn to and like really talk to. It's, there's, there's so many levels that you can engage in and I just want you to know that like there's no wrong way. It's absolutely up to you and you get to, cho- you get to choose what's right for you. Like this is, this is what sobriety is all about. It's about, you know, learning what our boundaries actually are instead of being this like super porous, we'll do anything for anybody because our identity is not like we don't even have an identity we're wrapped up in all of this stuff around us you know we're so pulled and pushed in different directions so malleable and now it's like we get to actually own ourselves and learn who we are and stand strong in ourselves and get this confidence back and this self-trust back and and when we uphold boundaries that is another way to gain self-trust again it's saying like, no, this is, you know, I need to put this boundary up. And because when I don't, I feel like crap. I feel walked all over. I feel taken advantage of. And 
when I uphold it, yeah, maybe I might feel a little guilty because I've been trained my whole life to feel guilty if I don't show up for people. Um, but that guilt, it's a sign that you're doing the right thing. That sounds weird, but like, don't go back on it just because you feel guilty. Don't go back on it just because you feel guilty. Like, uphold it, hold it up, sit in the guilt. Like, that's your own, that's you breaking the cycle, carving a new path, walking a different way through the snowy meadow, a new track. It's hard, there's resistance, but keep pushing through it. And so there's this other part to recovery and it's the ego. When we're in addiction, the ego is like in the front seat. <laughs> it's like driving the whole car and you're trapped in the trunk. Like I was trapped in the trunk. Like I wasn't allowed out. I couldn't, I didn't have a say. I didn't even know really. I didn't know what the ego was. And I thought that like I was my thoughts and my emotions and there was no gap between an emotion and a reaction. I was just like led by this like emotionality and the ego was 100% driving the bus like all the time. And so it ties into this unconditional positive regard as well because when other people are looking for support, a lot of the time they're not looking for unsolicited advice. They're not looking for you to say, well, have you tried this? Um, they're not saying that they want you to point out what they're doing wrong. <laughs> and I've been in recovery communities where I've put out there that I'm looking for some specific support around something. And all the people who have commented on it replied with like, oh, well, maybe you should just do this instead. Even though I explicitly said like, I recognize that this is going on, but I need help on this thing over here. And they're like, ah, no, like, you should focus on this thing that you've said that you are not wanting to focus on. And I'm like, okay. Not what I came here for. Thank you very much. Um, I do not feel seen or heard by you. Thank you. And if we do not feel seen or heard when we are asking for support, we will then not return to the same place for support because it is not safe. We would not feel safe there and safety is one of the most important things in the world, especially in recovery. We need to feel like we can open up and, and be accepted fully as ourselves because we've been hiding parts of ourselves for so long that deserve to be on the surface, deserve to see the light of day because you are a good person you inherently are a good person. And I know that because if you were not trying to free yourself from this cycle of addiction and like why, like, like what evil person is trying to better themselves? It doesn't make any sense. So <laughs> the act of wanting to, to liberate yourself and to show up fully as yourself and to not ca cause harm to others through your own 
destructive cycles is inherently good. It's amazing. You're such a good person. And you deserve to be met by people who can see that. And so what we give is what we keep. This is something that I learned in hip sobriety school. And I remember explaining it to my partner. He was like, well, yeah, duh, of course. And I was like, okay. (laughs) It turns out that addiction probably robbed me of, of like a lot of clarity on life lessons. And I was really stuck in my ego. Um, (laughs) Ego was like really in the driver's seat. And it made me think that like I always knew best and like I was um, very driven by my emotion. There was never this gap between emotion and reaction. There was no like pause, process, take it in, decide how I feel about it, and then respond. It was like, how dare you? Why would you do this to me? You know, like it was like ego was in the driver's seat and I was locked in the trunk of the car. I had my higher self, like, had no say. There was no, there was no gap. It was just the ego. My therapist and I talk about the gap all the time. It's, like, in every single one of our conversations, this, like, being the observer of life instead of, like, trying to enact my will on everything. (laughs) Um... But yes, uh, back to um, back to the ego and wanting to do everything and like say everything and change everything and like think I'm right all the time. And giving what we keep. Giving what we keep means that if we don't try to tell people what to do, if we don't tell them this is the only way to do something, or if only you do this, then this would happen, or, you know, meeting them where they're at. If we uplift them and empower them and love them unconditionally and practice active listening, which is where you listen to them and you ask open-ended questions to them, but it's not like an interrogation or you are just listening in order to then respond because you want to talk about your side of the things. Active listening is like, I'm engaged and I'm here to be like holding space for you to tell me about this thing you're telling me about. When we do this, when we give this to other people, this like, this support, this love, this empowerment, we also give that to ourselves. It starts to be the how we regard ourselves. Like when we make a mistake, suddenly it's not like, oh, I'm so fucking stupid. Like, oh, I can never do anything right. Or, oh, like really beating yourself up about it. It's more like, huh, oh, I've made a mistake. Interesting, laugh it off and move on. Because that's how you would do it with somebody else, you know? like. Do you allow others to make mistakes or do you hold it against them? And then look at how you treat yourself. If you allow, if you don't allow yourself to make mistakes, why would you allow others to make mistakes? And that's just this never ending, really limited, like tit for tat thing going on with the people in your life and with yourself. It's like you're holding yourself to the standard that you'll never be able to meet.
what you give is what you keep. If you give this love to other people, you're going to give the love to yourself. And then they will start to notice how good it feels, you know, to be met with this unconditional positive regard and to not be like always being twisted to fit this other person's narrative or, um, you know, limited in conditions to be like, well, I love you, but only if you're this certain way that feels bad, that feels wrong, that feels really restrictive and and not like love. So when when you can give that to someone else, they'll recognize how good that feels and then they'll start treating other people that way and it's just this beautiful, never-ending cycle of love and acceptance. Love begets love, the same way that hate begets hate. So why not? What have you got to lose? We're all here together. We all belong. We're all good. And there's nothing that you can do to take away your inherent goodness. I hope you have a wonderful week, my friends. I'll close off with reading the poem again. Let's see if I can actually breathe properly this time and actually say bradycardic without being like, <laughs> here we go. This is hip sobriety. My platoon of light bearers trudge forward to a better tomorrow. Life loses arrows at our limbs and sends shrapnel toward our souls. Many fall more bleed, but we will leave none behind. We are strong from all the guilt we've heaved. I will carry them as they will carry me. So often I lose sight, blood blind with bloodshot eyes. For dark, terrifying moments, I'm alone, save for my friend's bradycardic corpses roped to my ankles. But the dust always clears, the smoke lifts, and I see the bravest one still ahead, leading us across the gutted battlefield. Hope, hope floods in and I rise up stronger. I'm flanked by the most battered and scarred of us all and they lift me higher, always higher.